But we've been in the middle of this conversation that we're calling Everything is Holy, um, and we're looking at different areas of our life that, uh, that as we look into the scriptures, Jesus wants us to be uniquely aware of, and when we encounter these moments or when we think about these things, it's an opportunity for us to grow more like Jesus. And so, um, so much of life is soaked and drenched in the Spirit of God, but we often miss it um, because we've been given a framework that's too small. Uh, and so, so anyways, um, we're going to kind of dive into something that I was really drawn to this week. Uh, does, does it mess with you to think that, uh, that Jesus needed to do personal internal work? Does that like really like mess with you? Because um, it, it's, it, it both messes with me in some really good ways, but it also like helps me connect so much with Jesus. So, so in, uh, in the book of Luke, Jesus is... Um, identified by his cousin, John the Baptist, as an adult. So John the Baptist is considered like the greatest prophet ever. We do not get enough information on this guy. We get all these like comments that like everyone thinks that he's the stuff. And we just get this small little paragraph, you know. We get entire books in the Old Testament on other prophets. But anyways, so, uh, so John the Baptist is going around and he is calling for a turning a repentance of people to make way for God's coming. And what repentance looks like is acting in just and acting in just ways and acting with integrity and shedding falsehoods and turning back toward God's heart. And so, so in the midst of this, he is the only one that identifies Jesus. And so he sees Jesus. He says, hey, look, this is the guy I've been talking about. This is the one, capital O. And um, and so, so he's calling people toward this, but, uh, but then in the midst of it, Jesus is kind of on the periphery watching, of it, uh, aware of what John's doing. John is baptizing people um, as a, a cleansing uh, symbolic act, okay? And so he's baptizing people into this, um, this, this repentance, this turning, this setting my life back, truly oriented toward God. And Jesus joins into that. Jesus one day shows up in the water, and John kind of is, like, confused and freaks out a little bit, like, this doesn't feel right. I know who you are. Um, and we're not actually talking about the baptism of Jesus today, because it's really beautiful and complicated and wonderful. Um, but Jesus says, no, I'm stepping into this, too. I want you to baptize me. I want to, um, yeah, there's example setting. There's, there's all this good stuff. There's commissioning. It's awesome. There's so much good stuff. But anyways, um, so this happens, and Jesus and John agrees to baptize Jesus, and Jesus gets baptized. The next thing that we're told, the next verse, okay, in um, Luke 4, chapter 1, is it says Jesus is um, full of the Holy Spirit, and he is driven into the desert, driven into the wilderness, um, and uh, led, by, led by the Spirit. The Spirit needed Jesus to go out into the wilderness. And what happens in the wilderness? You can, this is interactive. Yeah, he's tempted. And I'm, I, I admit, I'm setting you guys up just a little bit. Because that's what we think about when Jesus goes into the desert. He went into the desert to be tempted. But if you look closely, you'll see that that's not exactly what happens. If you look at the words, do I have it up here? Because, Sean, my, my iPad disconnected. Yeah, okay. He went into the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. That, that is... A, a literal translation, but what, or that, that is what the translation that most of us look at. But in actuality, what is being said is at the end of 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. And after 40 days, 
For 40 days and after, same word. So, so we get this, this inkling that Jesus went into the desert and, and had this experience of wrestling. But at the end of that time was actually when we get the big things that we focus on the entire time. So, so point being that when Jesus went into the desert, he went in not so that he could be tempted. How many of you think it's a good advice? Like, you know what I'm going to do this weekend? I'm going to go be tempted. You got plans? You want to come with me? That sounds real messed up. Super messed up. So the point of I'm going to be tempted is sometimes maybe missing the point of what the calling of the desert was and is. Okay? And so Jesus goes out, and he goes out into the desert, and in that time, we don't know exactly what happened except that near the end of it, he was able to resist temptation. Okay? He was secure in his identity. He didn't go there for the purpose of temptation. He went there for the purpose of to be formed so that he could handle and respond in the heart of God when that temptation comes. Okay? So the point matters. All right? So, so the, the temptations are given to us and the story of the temptations are given to us as a result of the desert experience because all throughout the scriptures, and we'll talk about this in a second, desert and wilderness, they are places of desperation and they're they're places of encounter. And therefore, they're places of transformation. So Jesus becomes transformed in new ways. There is work that has to be done for him. And, And it was what happened in the wilderness that prepared him to face his time at the end of it. Um, The wilderness was the the shaping. He had work to do. Jesus went away to be formed in a new way. This is a huge moment in his life, and it's it's, um, instructive for us in many ways, but it's only a chapter later, that was just a little setup, that we get this sentence that I think is is worthy of our full reflection. It's in in chapter 5. Go ahead and throw it up there. See if I can get reconnected eventually. Yeah. So, so we have this little, this little uh, story. All right, I got it back for the moment, Sean. Uh, we have this little story that says that um, the news about Jesus was spreading. He's been healing people now. Okay? He's been starting to tell the good news. The news about it is spreading all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. This is the two big things that Jesus does in the Gospels. He proclaims God's heart and he heals people. All right? And that creates crowds, the healing more than the proclamation, as we'll find out later. And then we get this one sentence, but Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places or to lonely places and prayed. It's sandwiched between healing on one day, teaching on the next. This little sentence, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. So we have these big stories, like the desert, 40 days, seeking. But then we get this little sentence that we hear that there was a lifestyle that Jesus had of often withdrawing to lonely places and praying. And I want to take a look at what that little sentence holds and maybe how it can be instructive for us to encounter God in new ways and, and hear the voice of God in new ways, especially in our, in our current context. Um, and so I want to I first focus on that word often. I want to um, just think about, about this, this phrase. It's really interesting to me. Um, in fact, we, uh, the, 
the regularity that we see things in the scriptures is supposed to be instructive to us, right? Repetition, the, the, the scripture writers, they use the same words over and over again sometimes for repetition. Um, they use literally back-to-back words to describe some actions. It's a thing that we never do in English, I don't think. Unless we would like, like say that was a, like a really, really big storm. But, but uh, the biblical writers all the time did words with, like, with, with verbs, they would put the same verb twice in a row, things like that. And it's meant to be emphasis. So when we see repetition, and we're told over and over again that in the midst of Jesus' life, he often paused. I think it's really interesting even in Luke 22, this is right after the Last Supper with his disciples, and it's right before he goes out and, uh, and heads to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested. And it's just this little phrase, He came out, meaning he left from from the building. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples disciples followed him. So it was typical for him. Often, he apparently went to this garden. He went up on the mountain. And so so we get these these glimpses over and over. In fact, even in Mark, just, just, just a little aside, Mark is in a hurry in his gospel, okay? So Mark, when, when he writes the gospel, he uses all of these phrases like immediately and right away, all the time. He is obsessed with speed. He gets to the Passion Week earlier than any other gospel writer gets there. I'm serious, yeah, yeah. And, and what we get is, is these words. I mean, he uses immediately or at once 39 times during the book of Mark, okay? And so, so he's constantly writing about Jesus being in a rush to get to the cross. Jesus being in a hurry to accomplish what was set before him, okay? It's, if you read it in some of the, yeah, in, in context, it's almost exhausting. If you read the book of, of Mark through, there's just, it's constant, like boom, 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 going, going, going. Um, he even skips the birth of Jesus. Um, but, but anyways, with, within this story, even in his hurried pace, just take a look. We're told time and time again of Jesus withdrawing for solitude. At once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness. Early in the morning, Jesus got up. They went away by themselves to a solitary place. After leaving, he went to a mountainside. He went to a place called Gethsemane. And so what we get, what we get when we look at Jesus is we get the fact that Jesus had things that one would say were his custom. How often do you brush teeth? You don't have to admit it. You're like, well, I mean, we all say twice a day, but that morning I'm in a rush. Um, But yeah, most every single one of us brushes our teeth at night and hopefully in the morning. Why do you do that if you don't have a cavity? Yeah, you want to stay healthy. So nobody really looks and says, well, why would you brush your teeth if, uh, if you don't have a cavity? It's because we want to make sure that we care for it, and we've developed a custom of deep care for the sake of health. Um, So why do we often wait until we are in crisis with our souls before we choose to develop patterns of depth and health in our lives? we often wait until we're in crisis to get our souls back and, and to seek out God and to be formed in the deep places by, by Jesus' spirit and love. 
And, and when we do that, we miss out on true health. We just go back and forth between crisis to, like, rest. Usually it's just rest. Crisis, rest. Crisis, crisis rest. Um, and we often are, are we, we have very few oftens. We have very few as usuals. We have very few as was his custom, her custom. Uh, sorry, I was getting, like, the words in my face. I don't know if it drives you guys as crazy as it drives me. I'm told it does. Um, but uh, so, so I have coffee every morning at 6.30, right? That's not for my health. That's for my sanity. <laughs> I love coffee. I'm not a, like, crazy coffee drinker all day long, but I brew it every morning. Everywhere I go, I think, how am I going to get coffee if I'm not at my house and I have a plan? To the point that I carry something with me when I go to hotels because their coffee's so bad and I make sure that I brew my own with my pour over. Um, but it's a custom because it sets me on a certain track. We find that Jesus had customs and I think sometimes because we've so often, here we go, I'm going to preach right now. So often, so many of us have come away from an, a, a, an oppressive, dare I say it, evangelical approach that says that to be a Christian, you have to do your quiet time enough. And then I check that off and feel good about myself. When we realize that that's not how I earn my love for God, we start to walk away, and at first we experience a massive amount of freedom. And it's like, yes, oh my gosh, I I felt like I could never do enough to be good enough for God. But what ends up happening is if we truly move through that, then we find that there's a gap that a new rhythm could fill in our own spirits. So we often move away from something that is legalistic, and we don't figure out how to reclaim the beauty that it existed to hold. And this is, this is literally the proverbial throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? And so, so, so God invites us to find rhythms that don't look legalistic. They don't look like they, um, that, that this is how we earn our... our you know, goodness before God. But what they do is they form us in the way of Jesus. And we can't do that if we don't have offense in our lives. We can't do that if there's not true regularity with some of the things that we have learned to do. Um, and one of Jesus' deepest regularities was withdrawing to lonely places to pray. Um, now, like I said, this is an easy message to preach, right? You should be obedient, you know? Pray before every meal, and, you know, I do. I pray before every meal. I, I pray when I think about my grandma, right? And when I need to get to work and I'm running late, I ask God to make a way. But, um, but we got to move from appeasing God or move from our self-righteousness into places where we actually encounter. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, yeah. What regularity can you lean into that helps steady and deepen you into God's love and calling. What's the often for you? Okay, let's talk about the next part of this verse. So we hear that Jesus often did something, and what he often did was withdrew to lonely places. I love this phrase. I love the phrase that there is a redemptive element to lonely places. And some, some passages or some uh, translators translate this, often withdrew to the wilderness. Um, or to the desert, um, but the literal translation is, is this, places of aloneness, and that's where they were, in the wilderness or in the desert. Um, and uh, and so, so I want you to think about what it means 
to enter into a lonely place. Because the, the connotation here is a place where all is stripped away. Uh, and, and when we think about stripping away, oh, sorry, I was supposed to put the word often up here. Do you pronounce the T? Often, often. I feel like there's a big debate online about that. Um, so we have often, right? And now we're going to talk about lonely places. Um, lonely places are places of stripping away. And like I said, stripping away, it means more than, more than one thing or more than one way. The first is the removal of externals in our lives. A stripping away, a going to lonely places are places where we encounter and face the ego. Um, they're the places that we acknowledge the distractions that pull us away from God's heart. It's a stripping away of all of the um, layers that we have put on for self-protection and for self even for self-improvement, certainly for acclamation from others. Those things, when we enter lonely places, they begin to get stripped away. Um, and, uh, but, but there's also the physical removal that is a part of this, this little sentence, and that's entering spaces, spaces, physical spaces that are lonely, that challenge you to be present with yourself and God and nothing more. And this is really hard for us um, in, our, in our world of constant connection and everything like that. Um, but if you're in that process, it does take time. When you enter into lonely physical places, if you let it do the work, then what you find is that you're able to enter into the lonely emotional places where you do start to get stripped away um, with the things that can fill up our minds and, and our energy. And, uh, and when we do that, um, when we place in our, uh, ourselves in a place that is conducive to hearing, right? Remember what I said earlier, the desert and the wilderness, those are places of encounter and transformation in the, in the scriptures. If we do that, then we will find that they indeed help us hear the voice of God in new ways. To walk in lonely places is to willingly face our internal world. And goodness, goodness, that's hard. This is when we're forced, friends, to acknowledge because we don't have anything in front of us to push us away, we're forced to acknowledge our jealousies. We're forced to acknowledge um, our resentments, our prideful aspirations. We're forced to acknowledge the disappointments in our lives, the anxieties that we don't have a grasp on. Uh, we're forced to acknowledge our insecurities, our need for control. We're forced to acknowledge our limits in the lonely places. Uh, in one way, what we do when we enter lonely places is we practice death. We practice, we, we practice um, death to our egos, right? Our egos drive so much of what we do. And so it's in the, in the lonely places with Jesus that, we have, that, that self-importance has no role to play. It is super hard to be impressive when you're sitting alone with Jesus. I've tried it. Um, it doesn't work doesn't work well. Pretenses don't particularly last. If I throw a stick and hit that one branch, nobody's there to see it. My hand-eye coordination means nothing before Jesus or my wife. I make those baskets with trash and she just doesn't care. I'm like, did you see how good that shot was? But, but these, these moments of, of truly withdrawing um, 
they're important because if we don't have spaces like this, then everything becomes public. Everything becomes connected. I was considering sharing uh, something that I wrote in my journal last year as a part of this, this week, and I thought about it. I was like, that is really relevant. And you know what I realized? I realized that if I shared that with you, then every single time that I sat down with my journal, there would be a temptation in the back of my mind to think that this could be useful or this could be shared publicly and all of a sudden the temptation becomes to be performative. All of a sudden. And this is a, this is a unique problem for pastors and teachers because sometimes everything that we read becomes, oh, that's awesome to share. And it's very hard for you to do the internal work. But everyone has those kinds of things in different areas of their lives. But, but we have to learn how to guard and embrace lonely places because that's the only place that we are often vulnerable enough to be truly formed and touched by Jesus and nothing else. And so when we do that, when we enter into that, we have opportunities to walk away truly, truly different. Um, interestingly, the things that happen, we talked about suffering just a couple weeks ago, the things that happen when we choose to withdraw into lonely places are often not that different than what suffering forces us into. So it's a choice to step into, it's not the exact same, but it's a choice um, to step into that sort of growth, not for it to be forced upon us like suffering does. Um, so we die the small deaths of stripping away. And for some of you, you're like, in my life right now, if, if like removing myself to lonely places is, is, you know, like a small death, like bring on the torture. Because some of you are like, I, that just sounds awesome. But we're not just talking about rest and vacation, <laughs> although those are, play a role into withdrawal. Um, but we're talking about actually letting our souls be, be bare enough before God and honest enough and raw enough. And by the way, that often looks and feels like it doesn't fit in like Christian faith, right? We feel like if we're that honest with God, maybe I'm crossing a line here. Um, if I, you know, and so, so it's hard to just be able to embrace the fact that this is what Jesus is, is actually teaching us to, uh, to do. Um, we move at such an insane pace with our minds and our schedules that prioritizing removal makes it different um, than vacations, and it makes it very difficult to be able to, to, to do and practice in our life. Can we just talk about cell phones for a minute? Um, and and uh, if you guys have been around a lot, you know that I don't like harping on things, and, and uh, I have just as much issue as anybody else. But, but some of us haven't turned off our phone and had it be without reach when we are conscious for months. The only time our cell phone's not available to us is when we are unconscious. So what that means is that our connectedness with God or with another human in front of us is always a welcomed distraction away from non-existence. So in other words, if I am ready to take that buzz in my pocket at any given time or on the table when I'm having a meeting with other people, then, then immediately I'm saying that there is something that is a priority over this. And we don't try to communicate that. But let me just tell you, like, if you have your cell phone with you, you are never alone. And that is not meant to be like a nice slogan from AT&T for their 2023 campaign. It's, it's true. And so sometimes we have to learn, and we have to talk about this over and over again, and we have to figure out our own healthy rhythms, but like we have to learn to truly step into lonely places. Because as soon as that lonely get, loneliness gets a little uncomfortable, I'm like, hey, do I have any emails? 
Okay. No, not yet. All right, I'll check again in five minutes. Um, and all of a sudden we miss, we miss the loneliness that is necessary sometimes to, uh, to be shaped by God. So, all right. Um, yeah, lonely places don't offer us an easy way out. We intentionally go there. All right, and finally, all right, let's, let's, let's go to the third part. Finally, um, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So, this is, I, I think, here's another problem because of what prayer has often become and what we're told to do. You're supposed to pray, you're supposed to pray. So, I don't want to talk about prayer with the word prayer. I want to talk about the point that Jesus went out for was relational renewal. All right? I really sometimes wish we could change our words about prayer to relational renewal because that's what was going on. He went out to encounter the Father in a way that renewed his spirit, his strength, his energy, his identity, okay? And so, so when he went away to pray, like, I need to go and pray, be very aware that the ultimate point most of the time that we see in the scriptures is for relational renewal and connection. It's not to get what we want, even if you can pull out the right verse and say, well, God gives us whatever we pray for. Let's, can we just be honest that, that life experience doesn't match that? And so, so let's not just gloss over that. Often prayer changes us. And we do see God work in unbelievable ways, I think. That's a part of prayer. But sometimes it's more mysterious than that, and it doesn't happen. And we just embrace this as the complexity of life and faith. Listen to last week's message. Um, so, so anyways, um, this, this beautiful pace, the idea of going and removing to lonely places, it does have a goal and it has an end purpose, and that is to meet God beyond all the trappings. We're not heading out for no reason. Um, we're taking these moments to respond to the invitation of Jesus that he gives, right? In the book of Matthew, come to me if you're weary and I'll give you rest. But then he also says, take my teachings, take my yoke and learn from me because we're going to do this together. And you're going to walk away different and ready to go in some new ways. And so, so um, sometimes when we move toward Jesus, we will find that, that Jesus is leading us deeper into the wilderness. Um, but we're not alone. We have the Spirit like Jesus did, and there's work to be done. And so relational renewal with Jesus, one of the interesting things is it will always lead us toward deeper life in the kingdom of God. And, and life in the kingdom then will always be characterized by which two things that Jesus said were the priorities. Love and connection to God and deeper love for neighbors, right? And so, so therefore, therefore, the removal, the withdrawal to lonely places and the relational renewal will always lead us to deeper kingdom connection, which will actually mean that the internal work that we do, the removing, has a role to play in the outside world. Okay, it means that it impacts not just what's happening within us, but how we see and how we interact with the world on the, on the flip side, on the other side. Um, so, um, so, yeah, this, this love for neighbors plays into all of this. Um, so it's never about withdrawing for, from the world as if we're supposed to stay away. Jesus withdrew and then he came back with even deeper compassion and care for broken places and he was empowered by the Spirit. I love that. We're not going to go back to this too much, but um, in Luke... Jesus goes in, he's, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he's led by the Holy Spirit, that's what Luke 4.1 says, but when it comes out, he said he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. There was, re there was renewed power that he holds to love, to express and expand the kingdom. Really, really cool. Um, so, so that should be, should be crucial um, for us. And um, yeah, so, so this idea of coming back then is with hopefully deeper compassion to care for broken places, 
in the power of the Spirit. That's the beauty of what we often call monastic life. So, so the monastic impulse is the impulse to withdraw, but for something greater. In St. Nihilus, who lived in the 5th century, wrote this about monastic life. He said, a monastic is, is one who, withdrawing from all men, is united to all men. That was his phrase. Um, and uh, I've got a, a quote from uh, Matushka Konstantina. Thanks. Um, by, withdrawing, by withdrawing from the world, one is united with the world by being able to see oneself in all sinners. <laughs> Uh, by crucifying one's self-love, one finds one's true self and can see others more clearly. A monastic separates from people in order to learn to love them with complete and true love, which is inextricably bound up in the perfect love of God. Isn't that a beautiful way to think about our times of withdrawal? That the end result is actually deeper love for neighbor. It, it, it helps us move toward the kingdom. Um, so, so what we end up kind of seeing, <laughs> any time that I flip the board around, I have to make sure that a student didn't write profanity on it during the week. <laughs> that wouldn't be the first time. Um, but what we end up seeing in this movement is we end up seeing, so, so there's this intended cycle, all right? And so this cycle is that we are intended, right? We're intended to withdraw, right? To lonely places. And those places are places of transformation, hopefully regularly in our lives. I want to be a person that's constantly transformed. Um, And then, eventually, greater love is the end result. Not like more holy spirituality, Right? Not more impressive Christianity, but greater love. And then as we give out, we find that we are in need to seek out lonely places again, right? And we go through the cycle again and again and again. This is a lifestyle. That, that's why oh, often, there we go, right? That's why often is what we're told Jesus did, because there was a cycle of withdrawing, reconnection, renewal, Deeper love, going to lonely places, reconnection, renewal with God, deeper love. And it just continues. And so this is a lifestyle that we learn to embrace. So withdrawing like this is deeply holy and intended to be a part of our life rhythms, however that ends up looking for you. Okay. Um, so uh, withdrawing to lonely places, it is, uh, it's, not, um, it's not easy and it's rarely comfortable, right? It's very uncomfortable to be still. But Psalm 46 Forty-six says, "Be still, and encounter me. Know that I'm God." Right? Um, we struggle to face our prideful egos, but until we do, we cannot learn surrender. We struggle to realize our expendability, but until we do, we can't learn humility. Until we realize that, like, we're not that important in in the world, but we're also invaluable. To God? Like holding these things in tension leads to such a beautiful life. And so, um, so these things are challenging, right? And, uh, and we struggle to see our own value. But in doing so, when we withdraw, then we are able to see the value in other people too. Because God reminds us that we are not what we do. We are valuable because of who we are as a creation of God. And so there's just beauty in all of that. Um, and we, uh, we, tr- we just struggle to kind of fix our eyes on Jesus and not look back at something else.
But when we do, we walk away transformed. I have a deep conviction that that's true. 